Today on Christ, Culture, and Coffee, Robbie and I are going to be discussing our favorite apologetics conversations that help strengthen our faith. You definitely don't want to miss this episode. Stay tuned. This is Christ, Culture, and Coffee, a podcast designed to help equip Christians to be able to defend their faith and be confident in their faith. Hey, welcome to Christ, Culture, and Coffee. I am your host, Robbie Lashua, and I'm here with my awesome co-host, Tyler Hurley. Yes, we are super excited for this topic today. It's yeah, I'm really fun. excited about it. I'm excited that this is our 101, is that how you say it? 101st? 101, 101, one I was schooled, so one zero one numbers don't work. I was too. 101. So. Maybe that's our... You know what? No, no, no. You just, we should do a whole homeschool episode. I think day. by, you know... We could churn butter... Yes. Make we could wax wear, candles. Yeah, we could wear overalls and we could Birkenstocks. Yeah, have you ever baked your own bread? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how do people eat bread other than baking their own? No, do it. Oh, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, have you heard oh, of yeah. sliced bread? Sliced bread. No, but it, it might be big. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, anyway, sorry about that yeah. diatribe. Welcome to Christ Culture and Coffee. <laughs> Thank uh, you. We're glad you're here on our 101st episode. We hope you enjoyed last week's episode with Greg Kokel. Mm-hmm. If you didn't get to check it out, please go do so. Greg has just been a huge influence yeah. uh, in my life and in Tyler's life. Um, so please go check that out. Also, we'd love for you to subscribe to our YouTube channel, to follow us on Instagram, to follow us on the uh, Facebook page, to follow us on our Christ Culture and Coffee Insiders mm, yes. secret. Well, it's not a secret, but it's a private group. That's true. On Facebook. A lot of cool stuff going on there. A lot of people sharing stuff, talking about interesting things, asking questions, asking for prayer, asking for advice. It's yeah. a really cool community. The best people are on there, um, and you definitely want to be there too. So That's right. Yep. Well, today we have a coffee tip. We always start our shows with a coffee tip. First of all, I do want to say this. I've missed doing a show just the two of us. Yeah, it's been a long time, actually. It it has. And we had some awesome guests, but... It's been great. It's been a while. Yeah, what do we... I think it was, uh, technically speaking, it was five special guest episodes, or was it six? I'm trying to trying remember. To we had yeah, we had uh, the whole tr- series we had, over February. Yeah, so we had Brian Ferguson, right. and then we had Mary Jo Sharp, and we had Mark Driscoll, and we had uh, James Umber, yeah. and we had Dallas, Dallas Wade, and we right. had Greg Kokel. So it's six, six, yeah. yeah. And technically, that was just supposed to be for February, but you know, we had all these great people, yeah. who were like, we we got to get them in here. Yeah, and so, we have a ton. Uh, I have a list going. Yeah, with all these yeah. other people who want to be on the show, and we want to be on the show. That's great. So we're yeah. gonna yeah, hopefully keep doing it. But I I did miss just me and you. I know. I missed I know. us sharing. So it's good to be back. Uh, just kind of doing a show. Uh, yeah, it's like good. This, it's it's a know? bit more uh, kind of back in routine, you know. Yeah, things, are, things normal, are getting yeah. back to normal. So, yep, this is great. It is. Yeah. Well, hey, we want to share a coffee tip with you because uh, this is Christ Culture and Coffee. We always share a coffee tip. It's and what this we do. one comes from our behind the scenes guru, uh, our videographer, our professional lighting expert, our yes. go to tech guy, Brandon. He is, we love him, and we know he's watching right now because he's editing and everything, but he's he just does such an awesome job for us, and we couldn't do this show without him. Uh, but he gave us a really good coffee tip for today, and we've talked about right. the type of beans that you have in coffee. You know, there's Arabica beans. I Even last week, Greg Kokel talked about getting Arabica beans right. versus Robusta beans because those are... Um, 
trashy. Yeah, <laughs> they're terrible. Yeah. Uh, they're bitter. They're they're not good. It's not usually Folgers. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> usually what they put in cheap coffee. Yeah, right, right. But Brandon said, "Hey, quick tip." And I don't know if he was speaking from experience on this, <laughs> but sure. it seemed like it a little. Uh, he said, "Hey, when you go to the grocery store and you're buying your favorite bean, make sure it says 100% arabica on it because if it doesn't." They're blending yeah. together robusta beans, and it does not taste as good. Yeah, and apparently they he said they get around that by trying to say, "Oh, it's a hundred percent coffee, right?" And it's like, yeah, well, of course it's a hundred percent. Yeah, what did coffee. I think I was buying? Yeah, right. Are they putting like roots in it, or there pencil shavings in there? Like, yeah. What's going on? Yeah, uh, that is how they get around it. A hundred percent coffee. Yes, thank you. I knew that. Right. You want a hundred percent arabica coffee? That is correct. Because that's the best bean. That's the one that tastes better. It has the better oils. All of that. So make sure you're always drinking 100% Arabica. Yes. Robusta is out. Do no. not do not do drink it. that coffee. Yep. I've been there. I'm sure, Robbie, you've been there. Accidentally once. And my tongue has not recovered. Gosh. It was when I was four. Was Just that kidding. like really no. hard on your faith? when you? <laughs> it was hard on my faith. I, why would a good God create the Robusta bean? It makes no sense. <laughs> if God exists, why would he make this vile plant? Anyway, right. we've digressed well, a little bit, but that's your coffee bit. tip for that's today. Good. Always drink Arabica beans. They're the best. Yes. Well, hey, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about uh, this show? Because this was your idea, yes. what yeah. we're going to be doing here, and I think it's an awesome idea, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Well, yeah, for you, those of you uh, watching and listening to us out there right now, um, for those of you who have followed us for a little while and you saw Greg Kokel's interview last week, uh, what's really interesting is Greg Kokel, we talked about it in that podcast, he, he made a big impact on us with apologetics. And then we were just, I was just taking the time to think through, okay, um, tactics obviously has made a big impact that book that he wrote. Yeah. And uh, with the new anniversary edition and like everything that we talked about last week, we, I was thinking about it and I'm like, you know, there's a lot of different apologetics tactics and discussions and conversations that Robbie and I have personally experienced or been involved in that really strengthened our faith. Yes. So I'm like, and I thought about it. And I'm like, we never really shared them. Now, now, we've shared why apologetics is important to mm -hmm. us in the past. We've shared uh, some of our favorite things in apologetics, but we haven't discussed personally, hey, what's what apologetics arguments have made an impact in our lives? So that's the goal of this podcast today. We're going to be talking about a little bit more of a personal experience from our background mm -hmm. in apologetics and why we are so passionate about our faith and what strengthened our faith. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, and so, so th there's tons of stuff to unpack here but but we yeah. try to just uh, focus down on some of the the core things yeah keep it down to a couple of key arguments or issues that really yeah, made right. an impact on because I mean we could I could argue for hundreds of different topics and arguments sure. and things that have made an impact in my life but we want to keep it down towards the core few yeah yeah, yeah we don't have 10 hours sure you know, sure for everything yeah. <laughs> we've got a whole podcast to go we've got 100 episodes that's right? true we've been talking about this yeah stuff. that's right but yeah so why don't you go ahead and share tyler what what's one of these arguments that really made an impact on you and why did it make an impact on you? yes yes i will say one of the bigger things especially for me when i was younger was determinism that was okay. that was probably one of the the bigger pivotal moments in my faith. And that was probably about when I was in middle school going into high school. Okay. Uh, and what I mean by that is arguments against determinism. Uh, because I had grown up uh, hearing all these arguments from uh, atheists or different uh, off branches and denominations of Christianity or um, other cults or religions or <clears throat> people who taught determinism, meaning that we have a, a determined, predestined 
way that, that we're going to go and we don't have any free will or choice in anything that we do. Mm-hmm. So, and then from the Christian perspective of hearing about that, uh, in my mindset, I always thought, okay, if, if God is determining every single aspect of my life, then that would imply that he determines whether or not I am saved and then also determines whether or not I would go to hell. And yeah. he's determining other people who go to hell that they're going to hell Yeah, from the moment that they're created. And I thought that I really struggled with that early yeah. on in life because I thought, you know, if I'm predestined to go to heaven, then, then why live a, a good Christian life? Because the thing is, mm-hmm. is if I'm just predestined to do this and, and you know, and obviously, like, there's answers for that that were out there. But the thing is, is I'm just, I'm sitting there and I'm like, this does not make any sense. And that was one mm-hmm. of my biggest turnoffs from yeah. Christianity for a long time. Uh, but then it was later that I, I realized, like, like, just logically and consistently and with, based off what we have in Scripture, mm-hmm. that determinism does not make sense biblically. Yeah, I don't think the Bible teaches that. No, I don't think so at all. At all. Yeah. yeah, I think that, uh, like, cl- the Bible teaches that we have free will. Mm-hmm. And when I realized that, and when I had mentors and people coming in my life and uh, speaking about that and saying, um, you, you know, like, like we, we choose our faith and like realizing that, it was kind of an eye-opener yeah. for me, seeing like, yeah, that's something, that's a direction that I want to head in more with my faith and studying p- passages um, or all, just philosophical arguments. Why was my faith, I mean, why is my faith not predetermined, basically? Yeah. No, that's a great, yeah, that's a really great question. Well, and it it has so many implications. It does, yeah. Right? I mean, if you think about, if if everything's predetermined, because I often think about it like this, like, if everybody Mm. gets to heaven in the end, Universalism, yes. right? Which isn't pre, pre, you know, it's not, that's not determinism. Right. Let's just universalism. Say, universalism makes this a real silly world. Yeah. Everyone makes it, everyone goes to heaven. What does this life matter for at all? Unless, if there's no yeah. choices to be made or decisions that have impact on anything, it makes this a silly world. Uh, but I think too that determinism makes this a silly world. Mm-hmm. Why did God make a world where he made every little detail uh, happen according to exactly what he's determined <clears throat> in order to send a bunch of people to hell and send a bunch of people to heaven? I mean, against their will because they don't really have a will. Yeah, yeah. Why didn't he That's just correct. make people in heaven who who he would have sent there? Like, it seems like this is just a gigantic waste of time and energy and yes. pain and suffering when he could have just forced the ones who would have believed him to go. Yeah, I completely agree with that. It makes it, no sense of how the world is. It makes it a silly world. It doesn't. And and then, like, not only that, like, some of the th- things in biblically and yeah. in Scripture that were convincing me of this, I mean, there's tons of passages, uh, but one thing, this is just philosophically what made sense to me, mm-hmm. is, um, is hearing through, I mean, reading about in Scripture about when Jesus was tempted. Yes. When, when, by when Satan, I, yeah, yeah, by Satan. And uh, so when I read that passage, uh, when Jesus was tempted by Satan, uh, and then knowing biblically, Jesus never sinned. He was perfect mm-hmm. when he was on this in this world. Yeah. Um, the thing that I realized about that is that, okay, how can he be tempted to do something if he was predetermined already to not do it? Therefore, he's not really being tempted because he yeah. was... Yeah. So, so uh, see, logically... So is the Bible lying to yeah, us? Yeah, that's what or I Or was so, he tempted? Exactly. Those were the only two options. Yeah. That was the thing. So yeah. I, I'm thinking, oh, so that was a pivotal thing for me. That's cool, man. And then when I started to kind of... Uh, like think it through it it just doesn't make sense so so i realized no biblically if jesus if it says jesus was tempted 
by Satan. Like you said, there's two options. It's either the Bible's lying to us or we have free will. We have choice, right? Yeah. Jesus had the choice to give into the temptation and he chose not to. Yes. And, and it's necessary that he had that because yeah. he's the second Adam. That's right. Right? Yes. He, he's, we see that all throughout and Romans. Adam was given the same choice. Mm-hmm. Are you going to obey what God says or when temptation comes, are you going to disobey? So it's That's really correct. important Jesus triumphed in that way. Yeah, <laughs> it is. For us, you, right? You were absolutely That's what was right. supposed to happen. That's yeah. a great point, Robbie. I, I couldn't agree more. And so uh, so that's just a brief explanation, but that that's yeah. kind of one of the early on, that was one of the first um, things and doubts that I had in my mind and mm-hmm. something that like through a reasoning and apologetics and through studying scripture yeah. uh, and hearing philosophical arguments against the idea of determinism, mm-hmm. that's what convinced me uh, even further, that Christianity was true, and it and it strengthened my faith. That's awesome, man. Yeah, we've gotten actually um, out of all the topics we've done on this show. Yeah, believe it or not, other than for some of our atheist friends out there who've been um, uh, upset at some of the videos we've done and uh, yeah. coming and attacking the video, and we love it because it helps our algorithm. So whatever, it's great. Yeah, it yeah. is great. Um, but uh, the the main things that I've gotten tons of emails over is our view on free will that we yes. believe in libertarian free will mm-hmm. instead of compatibilism or determinism, sure. which is uh, more of a uh, Calvinistic reformed view yeah, of how right. God works. Libertarian, we're, on, we're, we're libertarian. We believe we actually have free choice and there are counterfactuals and we can choose to do other than we do. Yeah. Um, man, I've gotten so many emails about this and how we should present the other side. And um, I just don't, I, I agree with you. I just don't think it's true. Um, yeah. And I think that we have a choice. And, and then the, the, the craziest part about it all is if we are wrong about libertarian free will mm-hmm. and compatibilism's true, determinism's true, then for some reason God doesn't want us to know it because he didn't make us know it. And I can't be other than I am if yeah. determinism's true. So God predestined me to not know the truth for some reason, and he's forcing me to believe against what's real. Yeah. And I can't get out of it. Yeah, it just it so doesn't that, make sense. A little, that's a hard pill to swallow, then, too, you know? Yeah, and then I, I'm going to be honest, too. Like, like uh, another another big part of it with determinism in general, mm-hmm. uh, for me, at least, was I, I'm thinking, too, personally, well, the reason I struggled so much with Christianity in general when I was learning about determinism mm-hmm. and people saying that that's basically how it worked was uh, I could not get over the fact that, that it would imply that God was literally creating people to send them to hell. Yeah. It, it does. And it, it and yeah. that I could not get over. Because the thing is, even if it is true, that's not a very loving God, in my opinion. Yeah. It's not. And you know, a lot of atheists bring up that argument. And you know what? It's because they're right. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's true. true. Yeah. It's true. And, and you know, yeah. and like you said, yeah, uh, we know we get a lot of emails about this and a lot of messages. And look, look like... The thing is, is obviously, right, this isn't a core issue in the church. I mean, uh, this is like a secondary offense is what we would call it. Uh, However, it's still something that matters, and and we want to discuss it because we're we're about truth on this, right? Yeah, and I think it has implications on how you live your life. I think it does, too. I I completely agree with that because uh, we— we have to be in tune with wherever the evidence is leading us, right? That's mm-hmm. something we've been talking about, like like you just talked about with uh, our friend Dallas a couple weeks ago. We want yeah. to, we want to follow where the evidence leads. That's right, and and that's what we need to be about, yeah. right? Wherever it yeah. leads, we should seek out what's real and what's true. Um, yeah, yeah, and look, yeah. like I mean, if I'm presented some really good, genuine biblical or philosophical arguments that show that determinism determinism is true. Mm-hmm. 
then I might reconsider my position. But so far, like in, in my well, opinion, you wouldn't be reconsidering your position because God right. would just be forcing you. You're absolutely right. <laughs> so, I mean, again, it's yeah. just it's yeah. so counterintuitive. Nobody actually lives it out either. It's everyone yeah, it's acts true. like they're making decisions and are persuasion. Mm-hmm. If I was persuaded, though, like yeah, I'd go with compatibilism if I could be given some good evidence. Yeah, it, right, but, right. And so, anyways, but that and I'm said, sure there's gonna be some people out there who are like, oh, I'll give them good evidence. Yeah, right. Emails about this. But that's no, good. and that's fine. Yeah, if if like you it. do, we love having discussions. So please feel free to reach out with us if you disagree or if you agree and just want to have a conversation we we just love I- interacting with our listeners and our fans and yep. followers so uh but anyways robbie uh now it's your turn uh, what's something that's really impacted you one of the things yeah. i've been thinking about for the past like probably like four years um really thinking about a lot in regards mm. to the resurrection of jesus because i believe you know the resurrection is everything yeah like like even when i talked to dallas a few weeks ago that's that's the that's the falsifiable piece of evidence that we have. If somebody proves to me the resurrection of Jesus Christ didn't happen, I cannot be a Christian anymore. Everything mm, hinges yeah. on that for me. And so within that, man, I've read tons of books. I've studied a ton. I've thought through. I've taught through a lot of this stuff on the resurrection. And one of the most fascinating pieces of evidence to me is uh, the followers of Jesus following him right after he rose from the dead. And you can break it down. There's there's really three types of followers uh, that believed Jesus rose from the dead and went about uh, telling people that, claiming it, yeah. and then they were willing to die for it. One of the types of followers are his disciples, who were his friends. Mm-hmm. Um, another type is his enemy, and so you'd have Paul, right, who, who hated the cross and That's hated right. who Jesus was and was killing Christians. And then he flips sides. But the one that I've been thinking about over these past few years is Jesus' brother, James. Yeah. This blows my mind, and I really don't think he gets talked about enough (laughs) with with the strength of this argument, all right? Because here's what we know about him. Prior to Jesus rising from the dead, his brothers and sisters did not believe in him, did not follow him, did not want to have anything to do with him. Yeah. This is this is what the gospel portrays for us. Uh, I want to read a couple of uh I want to read a couple of passages that are really interesting. Um in Mark 3, 20 through 35, uh it says, And he came home, Jesus came home, and the crowd gathered again to such an extent that they could not even eat a meal. When his own people heard of this, they went out to take custody of him. For they were saying, he has lost his senses. Okay, Jesus goes home. (laughs) There's this huge crowd. Everyone wants to come in, but it's so big they can't even eat. And when his family, his own people, heard about this, they said, he's lost his mind. He's crazy. He's lost his senses, right? Yeah. Um, Then uh, it it actually spells out who his people are, right? So you go in, and uh, Jesus is talking with the scribes and Pharisees, and they say, you know, he's casting demons out from Beelzebub, and Jesus, a house divided, he can't stand. You know, that whole thing happens, right? Then you get down um, to, uh, to, let's see, verse 31 of Mark 3. And it says, then his mother and his brothers arrived, and standing outside, they sent word and called to him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Answering them, he said, who are my mothers and my brothers? Looking about all those who were sitting around him, he said, behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. So we conclude from that, his own people thought he was crazy. 
his brothers and mom are those people, and they're coming to, hey, <laughs> let's put you in a padded room, man. Yeah. They think he's crazy, right? That's one of the things we know about Jesus' brother James prior to the resurrection. Then um, one of the, one of the um, strongest is from uh, John chapter 7. This is fascinating to me. John 7, uh, 1 through 8. Let me read that. Uh, it says, After these things, Jesus was walking in Galilee, for he was unwilling to walk in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Great reason. Yeah. <laughs> no <laughs> if kidding. If somebody's <laughs> trying to kill you, you go out of that region. That's a, that's a good reason. Yeah, so he's in Galilee. He's not in Judea because people are trying to kill him. Okay, it makes sense. Now, the Feast of the Jews, the Feast of Booths was near. Therefore, his brothers said to him, okay, James, Jude, his brothers said to him, leave here and go into Judea so that your disciples also may see your works, which you are doing. Mm. For no one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Yeah. Think about what they're saying. Hey, big shot, why don't you go back over to Judea where they're looking to harm you and show everybody how amazing you are. Why are you hiding out over here like a scared little girl? Why don't you go over there and show everyone yeah, how yeah. marvelous you are, right? <laughs> and this is what Jesus says. Uh, uh, verse 5 says, They said these things, for not even his brothers were believing in him. Okay, mm -hmm. so his brothers do not believe he is who he says he is. Jesus said to them, My time's not yet come, but your time's always opportune. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its deeds are evil. Go up to the feast yourselves. I did not go up to the feast because my time has not yet fully come. Mm, yeah. His brothers antagonize him and say, go kill yourself. That's right. Go show everyone who you are if you're so powerful. And then it says they don't believe in him. And then Jesus rebukes them. Yeah. Right? And says, my time's not come because I stand for something. You stand for nothing. Yeah. <laughs> they don't really like uh, each other. Yeah. No kidding. So this is what's going on. And then you also have Jesus' brothers absent at his crucifixion. How much do you have to hate your brother not to go to his public execution? Yeah. That's a big That's deal, a lot, yeah. right? His mom's there. None of his brothers are there. He leaves his mom to the charge of his disciple John, right? So his brother's not around. Jesus' brothers did not think he was God, did not think he was the Messiah, did yeah. not care about him at all in his public ministry from what we know of them in, uh, in the Gospels. Right? That's the picture that's portrayed. So we can conclude James, very skeptical to Jesus <laughs> yeah. prior to his resurrection. And then after the resurrection, he's praying to his brother. That's right. Right? Yeah. Acts 1, 13 through 14. When they had entered the city, they went to the upper room where they were staying. That is Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. Okay. Yeah. So that, those are the disciples, not Jesus' brother. But then it says, These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. After Jesus' resurrection, James and his other brothers are praying. They're part of the disciples. They're there devoting themselves to each other and to prayer. What happened? Yeah, that's <laughs> what happened, right? This gets this is so crazy to me because a couple of things. What could convince you that your brother is God? You have brothers. Yeah. I have oh, I have one brother. 
what could convince you that that Devin or Zach is God? I, I that's the thing. Like, even if like there was tons of evidence, yeah, it would freak me out, and I would not want to believe it because I'm like, this is stupid. Yeah, I'm just being honest. Like, yeah, that's even if it was true, because because you think about it, like, um, your brother's younger than you too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like like thinking about. I'm tr- like thinking about a younger sibling mm-hmm. um, being God, basically, yeah. and, and then like that you you be, get saved through him, basically. Mm-hmm. That's like that idea for me, for my siblings with that, and then thinking like I, you know, I have been around longer than them. I've had more experience. I, yeah, all this other stuff of just being related. I'm like, this does not. I you could not throw anything at me that would make <laughs> me believe that you were God. Like, See, and I'm in the same boat. It as would you, have Tyler. to be something like. Extraordinary. Extraordinary. Yes, yeah. it has to be something extraordinary. So with that thought in mind, let's continue to see what happens to James. So he becomes the head spokesman of the church yeah. that worships his brother as God in Jerusalem. He becomes the head of the church of Jerusalem, right? Now, this is interesting. We have mention of what happens to Paul— it, or to, to James. So Paul mentions James' leadership in Galatians, um, and he calls him one of the pillars, right? James is very prominent. In Acts 15, when they go to have this huge church council about—it's called the Jerusalem Council, but but the argument is, what do the Gentiles have to follow from Judaism, mm, yeah. the Old Testament law? What do they got to follow? James is the one who makes the decision. Yeah, and it's that's crazy right. because you go, why James? Like he's Jesus' brother. He wasn't even a disciple, it's right? It's a really big flip in opinion. And yeah. Opinion. yeah. But now he is devoted to this movement that says his brother is God, his brother rose from the dead, and he, according to church tradition and, and other uh, non-scriptural sources, dies for his faith. Uh, Eusebius, uh, he was an er- early Christian historian. He quotes Josephus. He quotes Clement of Alexandria, and he quotes Hegesippus mentioning Jesus' brother James becoming a martyr. And we don't have mm. time uh, to, to read all that was written about this. But basically, uh, it, it talks about how James was thrown from the pinnacle, from the edge of the temple, yeah. and then was beaten with a club. Why? Because he was claiming that his brother was God. So he didn't really get a lot of power out of it. He didn't get sex from it, and he didn't get money from it. He got beaten for it and chastised and killed for the belief that his brother is God. And he had to say his brother was God. That's another yeah. thing. Like, Which that's is a really hard pill to swallow, right? I'm just saying, yeah. So, so this is what I've concluded about this. I've, th- I've thought about this a lot. What could convince me that my brother is God to the point that I would die for that belief? <laughs> And to be honest, nothing. Nothing could convince me my brother's God, and nothing could convince my brother that I'm God. Yeah. Right? And here's why. Even if my brother rose from the dead and appeared to me, I wouldn't believe he was God. Would you believe your brothers were God if they rose from the dead? No. No. Now, this is interesting. So we're saying, okay, uh, he rose from the dead, which that's why James converted. That can't be the only thing. That's because that say. wouldn't convince me and it wouldn't convince yeah. you, right? And it wouldn't convince our brothers if we rose from the dead yeah. that we're God. He- here's what I've thought about. James 
who was called uh, James the Just because he followed the Old Testament law. It talks about how it seems like he took a Nazarite vow. He grew his hair long. He didn't drink wine. He followed the Old Testament law to a mm. T. Uh, Josephus even talks about uh, this, that he was a Jew of Jews kind of guy. Mm. And you go, that's interesting. He seems to take more the route of John the Baptist, his cousin, yeah. than his older brother, Jesus. And I don't want to get into the psychology of the second-born brother having like this really prominent you know, Messiah figure brother, literal Messiah figure yeah, brother, yeah. right? It's kind of crazy to think about. I'm going to be my own person, and I'm not going to be like him. I'm going to be more like this, right? You can kind of see that happening with James. But James is very just. James keeps the Old Testament law. We know this from a ton of different sources. Mm, yeah. What could convince that type of guy that his brother's God? Well, after the resurrection, he was convinced, and before he hated him, right? Yeah, that's right. This is what I thought about. If Jesus really is sinless, right? If he's really sinless, if you had a sinless sibling, you would hate him. Yeah. Because your mom all the time would be saying, why can't you be more like Jesus? And she would be right. It wouldn't just be her crazy perspective. <laughs> like, she'd be right. And you would know he never did anything wrong. And you, as a brother, would have a front row seat to this dude's perfection. Yeah. And you'd hate him for it. Because he's a goody two-shoes who can never get in trouble, who never does wrong, who won't cover for me. Yeah. Right? Hey, just tell mom that I can't. No, I'm not going to lie. Right? Come on, man. Like, just, just Right? Yeah, James, being the second uh, oldest brother to Jesus, had a front row seat to Jesus' perfection. But if you had a sibling that really was perfect, you'd hate him. And that's exactly what we yeah. see in the Gospels, right? Yeah. They hate them. him. But if you had a sibling who was perfect, who then also rose from the dead, those two things had to have happened together yeah. to convince James to believe his brother's God and die for him. I wouldn't believe right. my brother's God. My brother wouldn't believe I was God if I rose from the dead. Yeah, well, because we know that we're imperfect. We know yeah, the bad yeah. stuff each and other did. Part did. of that is uh, there's a couple cases of other people rising from the dead in Scripture, like Lazarus, sure. for, for example. So and it's nobody like, thought he yeah, was God. Yeah, nobody did. Yeah. I mean, the guy who was God rose him from the dead. Like, he's yeah. the one who told him, like, hey, get up and walk. So it's like... yep. Like, that's the thing. So, yeah, it takes more than just a resurrection. Than just you resurrection. have to know, like, he had to be perfect. And that's a great case. And nobody's in a better... This is interesting. Yeah. Uh, so, Peter, a disciple for three and a half years, you know, you could you could trick him that you were perfect. And sure. He could have a weird view of, you're this really awesome figure. Yeah. Uh, Paul, who really didn't know Jesus prior to the resurrection, he doesn't know. He didn't have... James being the brother, growing up with him, Front row seat to see if this guy ever sinned, even more so than his parents. I was going to say that too. Because parents leave kids at their house alone. Parents are out of the siblings. Parents, really know yeah. what the other and siblings parents are also, like. Parents also, some parents also have this mentality. I've I've known people like this. I'm sure you have, where it's like you know their kid could do no wrong. Oh yeah, exactly. Mentality. Sure. And, and and so you could convince a parent that yes. their child was perfect. Yeah, you could trick a parent into that. Um, but you couldn't trick a sibling into that. No. And so that's why James is in a category all his own because he had the most time, being the second born, right, of Mary, the first mm -hmm. of Joseph, he had the most time with Jesus as a kid, more yeah. than the other brothers. And he becomes convinced that his brother's God and will die for that because he knew his brother was perfect 
and he saw him rise from the dead. Yeah. One without the other didn't convince him. Both together did convince him. Yeah. And so James dying for the belief that his brother's God, I think is really, really, really strong evidence that something crazy happened in this dude's life. Yeah, because no you kidding. wouldn't die for that unless you were getting money, sex, or power. He got none of it. He just got beaten and, and eventually killed for it. So th- that... That argument for James really bolsters my faith. I think about him a lot because, um, yeah, you know, people who have famous brothers a lot of times don't like the brother. It's true. And he worshipped his brother as God. It's very odd. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> very a, strange. So yeah, that's I, I think that, that that argument is something that's really bolstered my faith because if he didn't rise from the dead, how do you explain that phenomenon? Yeah, that's right. That's it. it it's crazy, and, and that. I love the, your point, Robbie, with this whole thing too. Is that like no one would ex, would have experienced as much time with Jesus in witnessing his perfection than James? Yes, that's that's the key to this whole thing. Why yep. James is so important? I mean, how crazy or cool would it be if we had a collection of like writings? If he ever sat down and like wrote about their childhood or something? Yeah, like, that'd be sweet, right? Like, well, yeah, all, all we have from him is you know the Book of James. Oh yeah, was written right, by Jesus right. Brother. But it's not about Jesus. Sure, when sure. He was a kid but it's anything. just crazy, just uh, thinking through all the stuff he saw as yeah. a, as a kid. But either way, the point is that is a great argument yeah. in apologetics, and that's really cool too. Like in the way that that impacted you, and yeah. still is like carrying weight. When I ask people that all the time, is how how could you convince your brother's God? And everyone everyone says I couldn't, I never could. Okay, then how did Jesus do it? You gotta account for that yeah. <laughs> because we have all of these independent sources that say this guy believed his brother was God. How and was willing to die for it. So he didn't just say it, he really believed it. Yeah. How did he get convinced of that when prior to the resurrection event he didn't, yeah. He didn't like the guy. And so I, I think it's a really strong argument. And it's not yeah. the only argument we have for the resurrection, but it's one of my favorites because it is so um, oh no kidding yeah. it's so amazing <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it, yeah it really bolsters my faith so that's one of my favorites that's really strengthened me and um i've never heard a good response to yeah uh, at all so uh what about you what's another one tyler that, yes. that's really strengthened your faith and that has been an encouragement to you yeah yeah so so this is kind of a collection of arguments i guess but it's all still under the same category okay uh what what happened was we've talked about this on the show before, um, Robbie. When you led our SMI student mis- missionary internship program, when I went to Utah, oh, my yeah. junior year of high school, I took the studies and things we were doing to apply to Mormonism mm-hmm. and Mormon apologetics, and I took that and I turned it around and I applied it to the Bible and to Christianity. Okay, and I thought, okay, so uh, what I mean by that, let me elaborate a little bit, is that the idea is that I took all the tactics we were using, such as uh, criticizing the Book of Mormon and fi- like seeing issues in it, um, talking about the issues that they have in salvation, mm-hmm. and then issues in uh, historical accuracy and those things, and then also test of prophets. Okay. I took all of the things that we did and studied in the materials from outside sources that we read on those, and then I applied it against the Bible. Basically set out to see, okay, does the Bible stand true to all of these tests, basically? Yeah. Oh, that's a great yeah. thing to do. Yeah. yeah, it's great. And so uh, that's what I thought because I, and it, it just lit this spark for me. So hmm. I, I went around and I started studying really in depth. Um, for starters, historical accuracies 
That was something that that I started with looking into and investigating. Now, now in the Bible, in the Bible, yes, because yeah, in the Book of Mormon, there's historical inaccuracies all over the yes, place. Yes, that's yeah. correct. And like like some of the and we've talked about Mormonism mm-hmm. quite a bit on this podcast. Uh, um, and like just vaguely, like a, a couple things that we know in Mormonism, like historical inaccuracies. Like uh, you see in First Nephi eighteen twenty five that it says that there were horses. In the Americas, yeah, which which there there were not horses during that not time. before we have the fifteen hundreds. Yes, the Spaniards we, brought horses. Yeah, we have there. a record of that, and, and that's supposed to be the the Book of Mormon was supposed to be completed by the fourth century A.D. Yeah, that's actually that's around Completely, that time frame, right? Mm-hmm. So this is this is uh, what what would that be eleven hundred years before yeah, horses before were horses? Here. Yeah. yeah, and then you got that, and then other accounts where they talk about steel or glass, and yeah. when those were not actually invented by that time, they weren't even in Europe. They no, weren't even they weren't. anywhere at that time. They weren't anywhere. Yeah. At that time and, and, and those things uh, like long story short those type of inaccuracies lead you to believe okay then this seems more likely that a guy living in the 1850s sorry 1830s 1850s yeah sat down and wrote an account that he said was from god like that, he that's didn't just know about opinion. his history and he didn't know well. about yeah. history no, yeah that's true so so but anyways my point in mentioning that is i thought that i'm like wow this is crazy like and you see cultures like like the battle of the nephites and lamanites that there's no historical evidence that that ever happened there's no archaeology nothing yeah no archaeology uh, but but so the, uh, looking at that i thought okay well what if i took like some of this historic historical accuracy um, like tests, basically, and mm-hmm. read through passage in, passages in the Bible to study yeah. and see, like, okay, does it also have issues like this? Yeah. Yeah, so I went through, and then, and then you can see all throughout Scripture, and we've even done episodes on archaeology mm-hmm. uh, where it's insane how much historical archaeological evidence that there is for everything we have in Scripture. Yes. Like every single culture that oh, has yeah. been around it, like we have evidences that they existed like throughout well, like obviously ancient Rome it's like yeah, yeah sure. clearly that like everybody knows yeah, ancient but Rome Persia Persia Assyria yeah Nineveh like I've literally seen uh, a part of the gates from the Babylonian Empire yeah, yeah. I've literally seen that's right Canaanite uh, artifacts I've literally seen Philistine tombs and artifacts yeah that's the thing it exists and these cultures yeah. aren't really around anymore obviously like yeah, that sure. were back then obviously uh, but the thing is we still have all this evidence like showing that this is what occurred. Yes. And that not only that, you see like um, just the lineage of his history, like with historic kings mm. in the scripture. And uh, we've talked about it. Actually, wasn't it? Um, gosh, who was it? We It was one of the prophets. It was Prophet Isaiah, his signet ring, right? Yeah, is that they what just we talked found about? That not too long ago. We yeah. did a podcast on that, didn't yeah. we? Uh, I don't know if we did a podcast. No, maybe on not. It. We it, just it, talked about right, it. Right, right. Okay, we talked about it. That's yep. right. But either way, like there's tons of historical evidence that you have. Yep. And they're uncovering cultures. more all the time. Yeah, and it keeps growing. And so that for me, uh, I discovered that around this same time frame. And I was looking into it and I'm like, yes, this is crazy. Mm-hmm. And then uh, and then through that. Well, and, and, yeah. and a point with that too, I think, right. is, is this is yeah. that. Archaeology being accurate with the Bible doesn't mean that the supernatural truth claims of the Bible are true. Yes. But if the Bible was crazy off with its history and people groups and there was no evidence for some of the stuff it talked about or a lot of the stuff it talked about, like the Book of Mormon, Mm -hmm. then why would I even 
think to trust it when it came to supernatural things. That's right. right? Thank you that's, for elaborating that's that for key. me. But yes, yeah. you are absolutely right on that. Because it doesn't make it completely true. Oh, but of course. without it, I would have serious doubts about it, like I do yes. the Book of Mormon. Yes, and yeah. so, so that's what I was doing. And my, my purpose in mentioning the historical accuracy point is because when you take the same things that you're applying to other religions and you see issues in it, and then you take it to the Bible, mm-hmm. and it stands its own ground, you're, it gives you a little more confidence. Because you, yeah. you look at it, and you're like, okay, well, for one— the Bible's more accurate, but then mm-hmm. you look at like the, the other scriptures, not not just the Book of Mormon. I've done this in the future with yeah. other religions and belief systems, but mm-hmm. you see like throughout other worldviews that the the Bible is very accurate compared to other accounts yeah, that you see. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and so basically that was a, the, a driving point for me. Uh, but with that, uh, you get on to seeing uh, in the Book of Mormon also that the, I have a book that collected on this too. Uh, there, there were, and I wrote the number down. There were three thousand to this day. It's and it keeps changing. There are over three thousand nine hundred and thirteen changes to the Book of Mormon from mm. the original version. Yeah, and that's significant because, because um, we we look at yes. the Greek New Testament and we make translations into English or Cantonese or Spanish or whatever. Yes, and so there's variation in how it's translated. But the Book of Mormon, nobody has the original gold plate. Exactly, they got back taken back to heaven. All that they have is what exactly Joseph Smith wrote. That's correct. And they're changing it for some reason. And didn't he say it's the most perfect book ever written? He did. And that that's the point here. And that's yeah. crazy. And you see that. It's like, yeah, it's crazy. Like he says it's the most perfect book. In fact, that's in the introduction, actually. Yeah. Too, yeah. in the Book of Mormon. So and why do you got to update the most perfect book? Yeah. Yeah. And that's crazy. 3,000 sometimes. And let, let me tell you, for you listeners, these aren't just grammatical changes or changing mm-hmm. of wording or different versions or whatever yeah. like we have, right? That's not what the, the changes are. These are there are names of people. Historical figures. There are names mm. of kings that change. <laughs> yeah. There are names of different cities being listed. There are, are there's and then also like like just overall doctrinal changes that were made. Yeah. Yeah. And so we see that, and you don't see that with the Bible. Yeah. No. Major changes like that. Yeah. The Bible is very accurate to the original text. Yeah. When even when we do see like so sometimes through transmission, not translation. Correct. But. We'll see where like a note that a scribe made eventually made its way into the biblical text and we boot mm-hmm. it out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because we know, right. nope, that's not real. That's not real. But the Mormon church is intentionally changing things where we're trying to stay accurate to the original. Yes. It's that almost is like the opposite method. Yes, that is yeah, absolutely correct. Yeah. And and so uh, basically all that being said though, uh the cherry on top with this, like the icing on the cake, was getting to the point of salvation and then profit testing, those two okay. things. Uh, let me start with the profit testing real quick. Uh, the, obviously, we've talked about this on the podcast before. Yep. We did a whole series on profit testing. So mm-hmm. if you go back and you want to get a little bit more information on that, I strongly suggest you go and uh, listen to those podcast episodes. Yeah, the ones on Mormonism specifically. Uh, that well, uh, that it, too, yeah. but I was also saying we took the profit test and we also applied the it prophecies. in the, mm-hmm, yeah, in the prophecies. Yeah, yes, right. we've done it a lot. Um, but basically what I'm saying here is uh, if you take the Deuteronomy passage. Deuteronomy 18. 18, yeah. yes. Um, where you apply the test of a prophet that if um, if they speak that something will happen in the name of the Lord mm-hmm. and it does not come to pass, you should not believe them nor be afraid of them. Yeah, that's right? what God says. That's yep. what God said. Yep. That was the test for a prophet. Yep. So you, we went through, and we did this in our training. We applied that to tons of different Mormon prophecies. Mm-hmm. And then you can see like like majority of them 
if not pretty much all of them, did mm-hmm. not come to pass. Yeah, a lot of them don't. <laughs> yeah, didn't happen at it all. It didn't yeah. happen. And then, and then, but then you turn that around and you look at prophecies in Scripture, like we went over in that series, or mm-hmm. Jesus Himself, the prophecy of the, the temple being destroyed. Yeah, and in then the, that came in to that pass generation yeah. after He died. Yep. And so you see all of that taking place, um, and it's like it, it just it blew my mind comparing that and seeing, okay, so the Bible stands its own ground on the test of a prophet, yeah, but the Book of Mormon does not. And so mm. seeing these comparisons, it strengthened my faith because I'm like, yes, I can believe in Scripture. And then uh, lastly, mm. and this is the most important part for me, lastly, salvation. Okay. The way that salvation works in Mormonism is in Moroni 10.4, it says you, you basically, you pray and you ask God, are the things in the Book of Mormon that I read, is this true? And God mm-hmm. will reveal it to you, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That's the gospel to Mormons. Yep. If, you, if you pray after reading the Book, read of, Mormon, the Book of Mormon, yep. read Moroni 10.4 and, and then pray about those things, ask God to reveal to you that that is true, he, then he will reveal to you if it's true, Yeah. right? That is solely based on feeling. And, and then yeah. we see all throughout scripture and then Jeremiah that the heart is deceitful among all things. Yeah. Uh, we see in uh, several p- different, and just in life in general, we know that like... Yeah, Proverbs, uh, lean not on your own yeah, understanding, yeah, right? Yeah, lean on your, yeah. Not, on, not on your own understanding. And then on top of that, just in general, I make stupid decisions all the time based off my feelings because mm-hmm. something felt good for the time doesn't mean that it was right. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, just that mentality is not something I want to be trusting my salvation for. No, I agree, yeah. Yeah, but then you see on Christianity, the, the salvation is by faith alone. But whereas in Mormonism too, uh, and of course there's more to that, They also it is also believed in Mormonism that after you become a Mormon, you have to adhere to the doctrines and ordinances. Yeah, you got to work And you have hard. to work hard, yeah, yeah. in order to get to the highest kingdom of heaven. Yeah. Whereas in Christianity, it is a free gift. It's just through belief and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And yeah. then you have salvation. There's no other level of heaven that you need to get to. There's mm-hmm. no work you need to put in. That's it. You're secure. You're adopted. You're secure. You're in. And it yep. doesn't have anything to do with what I do, what I put into it. It's something that someone else did for me. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's the thing. And so that is the key to this whole thing. Right. And then that's what we've talked about on this podcast before, too. And then that's what you just talked about earlier is that if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then Christianity doesn't like. Yeah. Everything hinges on that, because if he paid it all on the cross, how do I really know he did it? Well, because he proved it by doing this crazy miracle and rising from the dead. Yeah, exactly. So maybe he really did die for me on the cross. Yeah, <laughs> he really yeah, did right. accomplish something there. Right, yeah. right. That's the whole idea. But yeah, you're right. And and the the free gift of salvation sets Christianity apart from every other religion. Yes. Every other religion mm-hmm. says, I'll earn it. Christianity says, Jesus paid it all. That's correct. Yeah. And if you just believe, he'll give you this gift. Yeah. And yeah. it makes sense with reality, too, because I'm a dirtbag. Like, you're a dirtbag. Yeah. Like, we're not good people. <laughs> we, if, if you mean perfect. Yeah. We're not. We screw up all the time. Uh, We've got issues. How can you even think you could go about proving yourself to Mm -hmm. a perfect God? It's stupid. Right. I I need something different. I need a lot of help. And that's what Christianity gives. So it actually makes sense of real life, too. Yeah, yeah. Because I I know myself, and I'm not not there. Yeah. 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 And so basically— uh, long story short, that's like, that was 
a collection of things that really was a pivotal moment in my faith because I was mm. taking uh, all of these tactics and all of these things that I was learning about Mormonism and the issues mm-hmm. it had, and I was applying it and reversing it back on the Bible. Yeah, which you should do. Yes. Which if we're attacking a worldview with these arguments, they sh- we yes, should be absolutely. willing to take the arguments ourselves. Yeah. Yep, and so I did that, and then mm-hmm. I looked at it, and I'm like, yeah, this it stands all of its own weight like with, with these tests. Yeah. It, it makes sense. And so that really strengthen my faith. So, so uh, overall just becoming, um, and actually through that process, that that's what led me to wanting to get into doing ministry work and mm. uh, like uh, eventually going to school and studying. That's for awesome. So, so that was like a very pivotal season mm. in my life. Uh, so like working way up from back when I was younger, yeah. um, growing up in the church. And then again, like learning more about how determinism isn't the only explanation. Yeah. And then, Growing from that into studying Mormonism and then applying that apologetic method to the Bible, yeah, made me realize that Christianity is true. That we have some confidence in what yes, we're and all of yeah. that came through apologetics. That's cool. Yeah, yeah that's and really that's, cool. that's just such such a crucial point in my testimony and my mm. strength and uh, in my faith, and it's just made a huge impact through yep. those. Well, and I encourage arguments. you to keep. Yeah. St- it encourages you to keep studying and keep pressing in. Yeah. Because yeah. Y- Again, every time I, I dive into a subject where I'm like, oh, geez, that seems a little crazy, or oh, I don't know, is this a mistake? Yeah. You press in, and, and God proves himself. That's right. With evidence yeah. and reasoning, not just with a feeling. I can But you can, that. you can really dig into Christianity and see the validity of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's awesome. So yeah, yeah. And, and like I get nerdy about it too, because it's fun. Because it's mm-hmm. like you, you you go on this whole tangent where you start like when you're studying. Sometimes I've done this yeah. where like I've I go through and I'm getting super in depth, and I one thing leads to another, and then by the end of the whole like study overview, I'm like I'm, my mind is blown because I'm just constantly the more and more I dive deep into scripture, mm-hmm. I realize that it's true. Yeah. It keeps proving itself over and over again to me. Yep. No, and that's so what it just, does. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And so that, that just. Super crazy. That's cool, yeah. man. Well, the, the the second one that I had for today to share yeah. was, um, I don't know how to exactly frame it, but the idea that the Christian worldview is set on a future hope. Mm, yeah. Uh, because th- this this is the thing. Um, the Bible talks consistently about how we suffer um, and how what gets us through suffering is fixing our eyes on the future hope. Yeah. Right? The future hope. The future hope. And hope is being uh, assured and secured that something better is coming because you have good reasons to believe that it's coming. Yes. Right? It's not Mm -hmm. wishful thinking. It's a secured hope. And and the Bible talks about this, like, in so many uh, different places, right? Um, uh, Let's see. I got a couple of verses here that Mm -hmm. I think are are awesome. First, uh, First Peter three, or sorry, First Peter one three through four. It says, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ mm. from the dead. Right to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. We have a living hope, and this is this is something that I think Christianity again has that other worldviews don't. Uh, so Buddhism says the end goal is to become nothing." Mm-hmm. Right? The end goal to eliminate suffering, you have to eliminate desire in your life and you have to become one with the one. Nirvana yeah. isn't a place, it's nothing. It's not space, it's not time, it's nothing. Right? Mm-hmm. And you're supposed to be absorbed into the nothing of the one. 
Yeah. Is that yeah. a future hope? That's a, no. That sounds terrible to me. And, yeah, that's and awful. they would say it's because I'm wrapped up in all of the stuff here, but that doesn't sound good to become nothing. Hmm. So that they don't have future hope. They have nothing, literally. The atheist answer to to what's coming next is you're going to become worm food. You're dirt. You yeah. do not exist after your body stops functioning. There is no immaterial you, according to the naturalistic atheistic worldview and so mm. what's the hope of the atheist well they try yeah. to make their life matter here and now and maybe write some books or do something good that will live on yeah, after them right. like leave a legacy that'll live on after you but the truth of it is if atheism's true there's going to be a point where the whole universe just uh gets to a place of equilibrium uh, and heat death, right? Yeah, that's about right. Because energy's <laughs> running out. And so really, everything he, any human has ever done just becomes space dust. Yeah, that that's what... And there's no hope in that at all. No, that's that sounds hopeless. Yeah. If, if all of your living and all of your life and all of your striving and all of your effort is going just to nothing like Buddhism, or eventually yeah. just to nothing like an atheism... And Christianity is so different from that because it says, no, the things you long for, the sense of, how C.S. Lewis would say it, that, that sense of wanting to go to your true home, right? Yeah. Like, like salmon do to spawn. Yeah. It's really interesting. <laughs> right. We yeah, have this idea right. of, I want to go to real home, and real home is perfect comfort, and real home is peace, mm. and real home is joy, and real home doesn't end. Yeah. And real home is great relationship. And real home, you start to think of all the longings of the human heart. Yeah. And that's what the Bible says. That's what the Christian worldview says is heaven. <laughs> yeah. That's coming for us to be eradicated of sin, to be freed from the presence of it, to not have it messing with us anymore. Yeah. Perfection. That's what Christianity has. And it tells us listen. We have a well-founded hope because in time-space history, a guy rose from the dead, showing yeah, us that, right. man, we should probably listen to the things he said. The guy who rose from the dead said, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And don't worry. I'm going to come back. I'm going to get you, yeah. and I'm going to bring you to where I'm at. Right? Buddha didn't go to nirvana and then come back. He became enlightened, but he didn't become nothing because then he'd be nothing. Well, and not only right? not only that, he Jesus didn't tell anybody how to get that. Like like he just said, "Oh, here's an idea of how you can do this." Yeah, but it here's wasn't what like, you got to do: desire not to desire. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but it's like, and but Jesus, like he shared. He's like, "This is the way to get to heaven," right? Like yes. he made it clear, and he gave a verified miracle of rising from the dead that was yes. a public event. Not, oh, an angel came to me in a cave, like Muhammad said. Yeah. Not Jesus and Heavenly Father came to me in the woods when I was alone, like Joseph Smith said. Not I became enlightened under the tree, like Buddha said. Yeah. Jesus said, "I'll show you I'm legit." Five hundred people at one time saw me. A group saw me multiple times. My disciples saw all of these things. So he's probably worth listening to because he so. actually did yeah. something that other people have verified. Yeah, and, and that's right? just so great. Yeah, it's, it, there's and a lot of beauty in that. There yeah. is, and so we do have a well-founded hope, mm -hmm. and that's the only answer I think that's adequate when it comes to suffering. Yeah, and the Bible's clear on this. Like, listen, suffer for a little while. We're gonna have suffering. We don't want you to not understand this. There is affliction for a time, but there's a better day coming. There's yeah. hope for the future, right? That makes the suffering uh, seem smaller. That makes the suffering minuscule 
in 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 uh in light of the glory paul says in light of the glory that awaits us right yeah uh let me read this verse uh, romans 8 18 paul says for i consider the sufferings of this present time they're not worthy of comparing with the glory that's to be revealed yeah and this is nothing compared to that and if you're fixing on the future hope that actually is coming because it's well founded it's not wishful thinking um Christianity has something very well uh, to say for for what you're going through right now. Yeah, no other worldview has that because the atheists suffer just like Christians do. Right? Mm-hmm. Cancer happens to them. Tragedy happens to them. Alzheimer's happens. Wars happen. And what do they have to look forward to? Nothing. Literally, you're becoming nothing. The Buddhists, they hope to become nothing. Christianity is the only thing that actually has true hope, and the longings of the human heart are what future is is going to happen. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Which is just awesome. And so that's that's one of the things too. The the argument from hope. Nobody else has something like that. Nobody has something big like this. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And then obviously, like the the whole key here too is the hope is found in what he did, and that it's verifiable. It's it's like there's there's just so much evidence and truth that you have to go with like the hope in general. Like, yeah, like you it's can, a well-founded hope. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah it's a well-founded hope. Thank you for that. That's exactly we, what I was We have at. a story about what's to come, but we also have good reasons to think it's yes, real. Yes, there you go. That's exactly yeah. what I'm getting at. Atheists don't even have a good story of what's to come. No, you don't. Buddhists yeah, don't yeah. even have a good story of what's to come. We've got a story, but we've also got reasons to think it's real. Yeah, that, 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 <laughs> which that's is true. awesome. That's right? true, and that's why we're here. That's why we do the podcast. That's why yeah. we because because the thing is, we we believe that there is apologetics, yeah, uh, arguments out there for reality that fit mm-hmm. with biblical thinking, and we, that's what we're applying. Uh, that's yeah. what our, we're applying our arguments to. Yes. and then it helps you see that this hope is real, right? Yeah, one, and C.S. Lewis even, like, one of his arguments I think is really good. Yeah. He he had, like, an argument, I don't know if you'd call it, like, an argument from appetites. Sure. But how he said it was, um, you know, we get thirsty, Mm. and it's really great because there's actually water that can quench our thirst. I love Uh, that. We get hungry, and, oh, man, it's awesome because there's actually food that can quench our hunger. Uh, We want to have sex, and, wow, there's actually sex to be had. That can quench that lust, that that or that just desire for sexual, uh, yeah. you know, um, partnership. And he said, we also have this desire to be better than we are and to not screw up. We also have this desire for true home and peace. And if there's always the fulfillment of these other appetites, there probably is the fulfillment of these appetites we have somewhere. And that's why heaven must exist. Yeah, isn't that good? Yeah, and, and that's I, right. And I really think that that's true. Um, I really think that that's true. We have these longings for perfection, for peace, for good, yeah, for true joy. Why would we have a longing for something that doesn't exist? Yeah, that's kind of. I mean, that's the you key. Know, a longing that, for something that we always have longings for things that actually exist. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's true. It just yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. And then, then to think that obviously we've experienced it in some sense, so we have some sort of like... Yeah, we know it's real. It's almost you know? like yeah. remembering what you once knew. Yeah, and it's something right, yeah. that's that's like... It, it's a immaterial thing, obviously. Yeah. So, so it's hard to like actually like show you what that is. But, but, like, but in the human conscious, in the human being, yeah. there's this longing for a paradise that we've lost. Yeah, exactly. 
And and that's exactly what the biblical narrative says. That's what pretty much every uh, narrative says is there was once a perfection, yeah. and we got to get back to the fountain of youth, and we got to get back to that, yeah, and we got to right. find it. And and it's it's a true human mm-hmm. thing. We we have a sense and a knowledge that things at one time were way better than this, and we want that again. Yeah. We long for that. And so Christianity offers hope, real hope, well-founded hope. The other worldviews don't even have a good story for hope. Yeah, And I think that's fascinating because that doesn't satisfy me that I'm just going to become stardust nothing. Mm-hmm. And all my strivings and all my longings and all of my works don't do anything, right? Yeah. So that's one of them, too, that I, I think about a lot is just the, the hope for the Christian, the future hope. And I love um, what uh, what – uh, Paul says to the Thessalonians mm. about suffering. He says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about th- those who are asleep, meaning dead, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. Yeah. So he admits, we grieve and we suffer and we go through hard times, but not like people who don't have hope. Christianity has hope. And that's one of the I things that. that really yeah. encourages me and, um, yeah, keeps me going and... Um, Keeps me pushing into apologetics because I want to make sure my hope's well founded, right? Yeah, I love yeah, that. So there's motivation that. that comes with it and comfort that comes with it too. So yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. We hope that you've liked these couple of things. Yeah, yeah. That we've got to share that are Absolutely. big arguments yeah, that are been... important to us in our in our development. So yeah, it's kind of yeah. cool hearing about it. That's right. Yeah, I no, like hearing uh, yours, Tyler. Yeah, I've loved hearing yours. I mean, this is crazy. Like just you, because because the thing is, you can see how God's just been um, moving in us over our lives and like mm-hmm. shown us tr- like evidence and drawn us into Him. Yeah. Through, uh, through apologetics being yes. applied in our lives. And that that's why we're here, right? That's why we do this podcast. It's because we, we want that for you guys, our viewers, our listeners. Yes. Uh, we want you to experience what we have in the apologetics realm. And through seeing that you have a real hope, something that you're longing for, like Robbie mm-hmm. just said on that last um, that last statement was that we we have something tangible that's out there and there's evidence that leads us to it. Yes. basically. And and it's verifiable. We can prove it. And we have been. And that's what we're talking about on this show. And so um, thank you so much for just listening and for being a part of this today. Um, but also uh, just make sure that um, you remember, because the whole purpose of this podcast is that we want to be able to equip Christians to be able to defend their faith and to mm-hmm. be confident in their faith. And But with that, we want you guys to be sharing this with others too. Don't keep all of this knowledge and hope to yourself. Go and share that with the world. Yeah, we got to tell people about Jesus. Yes, it's, it's of the power of the gospel. Right? Yes, that that's transforms right. Lives. That's it's right. The that's message right. of Christ that can bring people to Him. So yes. we got to be sharing it with other people. Yeah, and with that, with sharing it, um, make sure that you can you can do that right now. Actually, go ahead yeah, and just click and share. click share on this <laughs> podcast, or go ahead and if you like this video, or if you liked any of our videos for that matter, go ahead and subscribe, mm-hmm. or go ahead and click the like button on this one in particular if you're on YouTube those of you on Spotify or whatever platform you're listening or watching us on uh, thank you so much please make sure you share and get the word out of apologetics the hope that is in you yeah make sure to follow too if you're uh, on on, uh, Apple iTunes not yes. iTunes anymore. It's just a podcast now, right? Well, yes. If you're on podcast, correct. though, subscribe. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're on Spotify, follow is the word on there. You can That's follow right. us because you don't want to miss upcoming episodes because we've got a lot of great content. We've got a lot yeah. more interviews uh, coming that'll help you with your apologetics and reaching the world for Jesus. Right. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us today on Christ Culture and Coffee, and we will see you guys next time. Yep. See you then. Thanks for listening to Christ Culture and Coffee. If you liked this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe to help us reach more people.